this computer. And greetings, this is the Reading Instruction Show. I am your host, as always, and we've been doing interviews. We have a very special guest, Paul Gardner, and he's going to tell us his story starting in England. Welcome, Paul. Thank you for being on our show. You're welcome, Andrew. Thank you for inviting me. So tell us your story. Okay, well, we're going back to um, the year uh, 2010. Um, and I'm um, a university lecturer in England, teaching English to um, student teachers who are going to be primary primary teachers. It's a primary B.Ed. course. Um, and in 2010, there were some significant things that happened. One was that um, the teaching of synthetic phonics was made statutory in English schools. And for your listeners, I just want to make it clear that this was only English schools. Um, Scotland, Northern Ireland, and Wales have separate education, they're separate education jurisdictions. So what the British government said actually only applied to English schools. So um, the teaching synthetic phonics from years one to two, so that's five to seven-year-olds, was made statutory, a statutory requirement. Um, at the same time, there was a clause inserting into the qualified teacher standards, the standards that we as lecturers had to abide by in delivering our um, uh, curriculum to uh, student teachers. So there was a clause added there uh, that um, we had to teach synthetic phonics um, to our students. Okay, so I complied with that as a university lecturer. I, um, I implemented that and... Um, However, um, I wasn't uh, entirely comfortable with the, the exclusive uh, teaching of synthetic phonics as the only method of early reading. So I basically uh, got my students to critique it as the only method. Uh, so for example, when students went out on school placements, um, which was their teaching practices, was, uh, you know, an essential requirement of the course, uh, and they came back into universities, I would I would question them and say, so what did you see about the teaching of early reading? And they would tell me, and I said, well, um, did it work? Or were there any, any problems? What, what are the challenges? And many students reported that children were accurately reading what was on the page, the words, so they were decoding effectively. But um, they noted that many of the students were not really understanding what they were reading. So we interrogated this, we deconstructed it, and we considered, well, what, what did children actually need in order to both decode and comprehend? So we expanded on um, this uh, uh, linear um, approach to the teaching early reading. Um, then if we skip to uh, 2012, um, what listeners need to know is that uh, schools and uh, schools of education, that's university departments that, that teach student teachers, um, are inspected by um, uh, an organisation called Ofsted. So this is a government body that goes in to ensure that you're meeting the um, national requirements for teacher standards and, and so on and so forth. Um, so we had an Ofsted inspection in 2012, October 2012. As I, I was the lead um, um, academic for 
at primary English, I met with the Ofsted inspector. Um, the Ofsted inspector asked me no questions about the broader English curriculum. All questions in this 45 minute interview were solely about uh, synthetic phonics, how we were teaching synthetic phonics, how we knew our students had um, acquired the, the knowledge in order to teach synthetic phonics and so on and so forth. So that, that was that. Um, we then skip 10 months to August uh, 2013. I'd just come back from holiday. I walked into my house uh, and on the, the mat inside was an envelope, which I opened up. And it was a letter from the vice chancellor of the university informing me that I had been suspended from the university pending an investigation. And I'd been suspended because, and the wording was something like, it has come to light that your performance at the Austin inspection in relation to the university's duty to teach synthetic phonics basically was wanting and that I had not fulfilled my, my duties, my implications. Well, it transpired that um, I actually had a colleague with me in that interview with the Ofsted inspector. And uh, I remember her saying after the, um, the meeting, well, she didn't ask anything other than uh, questions around synthetic phonics, but you know, you did really well, okay. So I then um, contacted the university. I was told that um, part of my, my as, uh, conditions of my suspension included that I was not to enter the campus. Oh I was not to talk to my colleagues. <laughs> and um, so I challenged both of those points. I said, well, I'm actually doing my PhD. Are you telling me that I cannot use the library on campus? And um, so they, they changed their wording and said, well, you can use the library, but only after five o'clock in the evening. Okay, um, it was a 24 hour library. So, you know, I could use it from you know, five through to presumably the next morning. Um, and I said also with respect to colleagues, I said, so some of my colleagues are personal friends. Are you telling me that I, I'm not allowed to talk to my personal friends? And they kind of backtracked on that and said, well, no, you can talk to colleagues who are your personal friends. So anyway. Um, but nevertheless, they, they, they put forward those, those kind of stipulations. Um, By the way, this, was, this is yeah. a nightmare for American professors. What you're describing is a nightmare. Yes, it, it was a nightmare for me too, I could assure you. So in, in fact, I was suspended for what would have been approximately three months, I think it was. Um, towards the end of the three months, there, there was a so-called hearing where I was interviewed by an academic from another uh, department. Um, he was a sports scientist, um, along with um, um, somebody from the human resources department. And um, he, he began by sort of um, asking me um, about this, this claim that I'd not met my requirements to teach synthetic phonics. Um, and in the wording of the the, um, the accusation, there was the term synthetic phonics and phonics. So I began by sort of saying, well, are you familiar with the difference between these two uh, terms? And so I had to explain all of that. Um, I was the only person who was interviewed 
uh, I asked, well, where did these allegations came from? And I was told, well, I can't tell you that. Um, so there was no clarity around um, who gave any evidence to suggest that I had not taught my students how to teach synthetic phonics. Um, in the end, I was I was exonerated, I was reinstated, but I was told that I would have to teach on a different campus, which was some 20 miles away, um, and I would be moved to a completely different department. Uh, and the, uh, the department taught an aspect of English that was really outside. It was, it was teaching English to speakers of other languages which was not my particular forte. Um, and I felt very uncomfortable about the, the prospect of doing this. I challenged it. I met with um, uh, one of our pro vice chancellors who ultimately agreed that um, I, I, it wasn't the best place for me to teach and that I didn't have to move campus in the end. Um, however, I was not put back into teacher education. I moved to an allied um, course, um, which was education studies. So it was still within the realm of education, but I wasn't teaching English anymore, um, which was my, which is my passion. So it, it derailed my, my career, basically. My career was pretty much on hold for two to three years. Um, and it was quite clear that I was not going to get anywhere at that particular university. And ultimately I had to leave and, and move elsewhere. Um, so, uh, at the time I inquired with my professional organization, the United Kingdom Literacy Association, to see if anybody else had experienced this. And I was told that no, nobody else had actually been suspended. Nobody had gone through what I had gone through. However, they, they had received reports that, um, uh, from some schools of education that books had been banned from their book lists. So any book that that um, suggested there was an alternative method or an additional method to teaching early reading other than synthetic phonics was banned from their book list. Um, and uh, yeah, so there was a level of um, scrutiny and policing of synthetic phonics yes. that was really very pernicious and it remains the case now. Um, in fact, it's probably even worse now because not only would the individual be um, castigated for, for teaching anything other than synthetic phonics or, or anything other than exclusive um, teaching of synthetic phonics, um, universities would lose lose their funding for um, and, and their student numbers. And, and, and that has happened in some instances. Um, so it, it's a really... It, it's a real heavy sledgehammer um, that's being used in England to ensure that there is only one method to teaching early reading. If you can't win the argument in an academic set, uh, setting, you bully. And that's what Correct. that's what has been done, it sounds like, to you. And that, that's a scary thing. The sledgehammer is an apt metaphor. Mm. Yes, indeed. It, it was bullying. It was harassment. And um, I, I think that it's important to uh, to kind of recognize not just the fact that your career 
is derailed. Mm -hmm. It's the emotional and psychological toll. Yes. That the police state. It, indeed, it, it's very much like, yes, it's very much like a police state, um, which leads me to the view that um, the exclusive teaching of synthetic phonics has less to do with um, literacy education and much more to do with control. Yes. It's about controlling what teachers do. It's about controlling children and how yep. they learn. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I can't help but feel that um, because this is an approach that's used in state schools, um, it's not used in the private sector necessarily, um, it is actually, um, for me, I think it's a form of miseducation. Yep. It is a way of containing what children are able to do and how they're able to think. Mm -hmm. Because it's also alongside the teaching synthetic phonics is the use of um, direct instruction yep. as the main pedagogic approach. So when we put these two things together, when we're um, testing children or teaching children that, um, from the smallest units of language in a direct instructional approach, um, and there have been several reports um, in England um, subsequent to the implementation of synthetic box around how this narrowing of this, the approach to early reading, um, not only takes up time, um, it also, and therefore, it also takes away from other aspects of the English curriculum and, and, and reading. And in many schools, um, teachers now don't read to their children because mm -hmm. they say they don't have time to read to their children they see it as a luxury mm -hmm. as a, as a you know, an, an accessory rather than an essential part of the reading curriculum um the other point that i should probably make is that from 2012 um england imposed the phonic screening check mm -hmm. so when children are in at the end of their first year of, of um, education and year one, so they can be either five plus or six. Um, so there can be a huge age range mm -hmm. when they take gap in the age range when they take this test. But the phonics screening check is um, 40 words, 40 discrete words. Um, 20 of the words, so 50% are nonsense words. Yeah. Um, and the first 12 words in the in the test are these nonsense words. Mm -hmm. So children have to make the graphophonic correspondences. That's the sound to letter correspondence mm -hmm. and blend the word, synthesize it to read the word. Um, in the early stages, when there, there was a pilot of, of this in 2011 and then the, the phonic screening test proper in 2012, Early studies suggested um, that teachers were reporting that better readers were actually failing the test. Yes. Um, so if we take, for example, the word storm, let's suppose the word storm, uh, uh, sorry, let's suppose so the word might be strong, mm -hmm. okay? The nonsense word might be strong. But the better readers were, yes, they were making those graphophonic correspondences, but then they were reading a real word. They were trying to make sense of it. Indeed, that's exactly what children do. Yes. <laughs> they try to make sense of, 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 of what they're reading because that's the logic of it. 
yes. you know, at the at the heart of language is meaning making, and the heart of reading is meaning making, and therefore they try to make meaning out of things. Who would read um, nonsense words? That's nonsense. Well, it is. It is. It is nonsense words. But I suppose if you are wedded to the logic that um, the reading is about or decoding is about making the link between the letter and the sound, OK, um, then there is some logic to it because mm -hmm. you, you want to prove that the children are making those graphophonic correspondences and they're not reading it because it's a sight word to them, you know. Um, However, for me, I think the, the, the misconception is that English is a phonetic language. Right. Um, and, and synthetic phonics works up to a point. It works with um, CVC words, consonant vowel, consonant words like cat, dog, etc. Okay, yes, you can apply it there. But um, as we know, the English language includes um, words that are not um, phonetically regular. Um, and, and we have to learn them in other words. The word the was one etc you know um uh, and they get around this by saying well these are tricky words these are tricky words but nevertheless in the english curriculum the strategy curriculum in england the uh, teachers are um encouraged to even read those words using th synthetic phonics as their first method um so it's a real, it's a, it's it's almost a blinkered, narrow perspective of early reading that is driven by this sledgehammer, you know, and everybody has got to got to adhere to it. Um, also in England, what happened at the time was um, schools were told they had to adopt a synthetic phonic program. Okay. Uh, and many of these synthetic phonic programs include decodable books. Mm -hmm. um, now, there's one such program called Read Write Inc. Uh, and the proprietor of Read Write Inc. is a person called Ruth Miskin. Well, Ruth Miskin was appointed uh, by the government to be their literacy expert. Um, and um, the government then said, OK, schools have got to have one of these programs. Uh, and, and we will match fund um, their purchase of these programs. Well, Read Write Inc. was one, one program that they promoted. And as a consequence, about 25% of schools in England now use Read Write Inc. In fact, schools, um, I've heard principals in schools or head teachers in schools refer to their schools as Read Write Inc. schools. So this idea of synthetic phonics has become so much part of the educational psyche, so much part of the culture um, of early reading in England now, that schools are actually equating themselves with reading programs and, and decodables. Um, and this has uh, influenced other jurisdictions as well. I now work in Australia. Um, and one of the first things that I was told when I came to Australia was that in terms of education, Australia follows what England does. Well, my response to that was, well, I come from the future then, and I can tell you, you don't want to go there. Um, however, unfortunately, I'm now experiencing deja vu because Australia is adopting exactly what England has done. Um, and it's being driven by... Um, a, a particular think tank in Australia. Yep. Um, 
which uh, I think has quite close links with uh, the Murdoch media, for example. Mm -hmm. um, and there are now, you know, the very powerful voices that are pushing the synthetic phonic approach. Uh, a couple of states in, in Australia have adopted the phonic screening check directly from, from England. Um, and so that whole kind of the so-called um, reading war has now um, been imported into Australia uh, as and so I'm, I'm getting it as I'm on my second wave of um, right. you know, this debate around early reading. So do you know, in England then, have all the reading problems been solved? Since They must have since they adopted this, this curriculum. <laughs> That's a really interesting question. Um, of course, the, the government in England um, says that the standards of reading have improved. Um, and that's an argument that's being used in Aus Australia as well to promote synthetic phonics. So the argument is, since the implementation of the phonics screening check, standards of reading have improved. Okay, well, let's deconstruct that. Yeah. So just, just to set up the, the kind of testing regime in England. So at the end of year one, students do the phonics screening check. At the end of year two, students... Um, have um, what is called um, SATs. It's a standard assessment test. Mm -hmm. So it's a national test, standardized national assessment test. So they have that at the end of year two and also in year six. All right. So remember, the phonics screening check was implemented in 2012. Um, the last testing before COVID was 2019. Okay. So in theory, we have seven years of phonic screening check data. Okay, what does that data suggest? All right, well, the data suggests from that phonic screening check that the, the percentage of children who achieve the pass mark has increased um, remarkably. Okay, so in the first year, 2012, it was approximately 58% of students passed the test. And in 2019, approximately 81% passed the test. Okay. Now, we also have to put into account the fact that in 2012, it was relatively novel. Um, students hadn't necessarily been coached in passing the test, um, but from 2013 onwards, um, there was a lot of coaching in how to pass the test, how to read the, um, the nonsense words, um, so a lot of time was invested in, you know, teaching so to was the test. The test basically a phonics test. Yes, yes, exactly that. It, so it if was, you teach phonics, you're going to get higher scores on phonics tests. Correct. Yes, gotcha. yes, yes, yes. It was that test where there were forty discrete words. Oh my god! Twenty of which, yes, twenty of which were nonsense words. And as I said previously, in the early years. Many of the better readers were failing the test because yes. they were trying to break meaningful words. Um, okay, so um, now if if stand if that if that resulted in the improvement of of, of levels of reading, mm -hmm. we would see a commensurate increase in the percentage of students um, uh, scoring highly in the SATS tests at the end of year two and the end of year six. Uh, yes. Okay. 
Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, th- there is a problem here in, in making a comparison with the data because um, the government decided to change the the um, SATS tests uh, or the content of the SATS test in 2016. Okay. Um, so, in effect, we've only got three years of data, comparative data. Um, what that data shows is that although there was an increase in the percentage of children um, passing the phonics screening test. There was only a 1% difference in one year of those three years in the SATS tests. So, um, you know, it went up 1% and then it came down 1%. So in effect, there was really no significant change in in the levels of reading um, in in these tests, which included, of course, comprehension. it also needs to be borne in mind that that the the um, the levels of achievement in the SATS test prior to uh, 2012, prior to the phonics screen check, were rising, mm-hmm. and then um, when it got to uh, uh, 216, when they changed the the, the test, um, there was a, there was a dramatic fall in in uh, percentages. And then, as I said, this one kind of one percent increase in one year um, in the uh, in those in the results, uh, which then leveled out the following year. So, in effect, there has been no there is no evidence that um, reading levels have improved in England when you look at the results from the SATS data and compare it to the phonics screening check data. Interesting. So, what advice do you have for us? because we're just beginning to get these top-down mandates. Do you have any advice for people at higher ed or primary schools? Well, my advice would be to try and argue that um, this um, unilateral approach to the teaching of early reading um, really is is the wrong path to be going down. Mm-hmm. You know, I think we have, we have decades of evidence that... Um, uh, you know, a, a multi-faceted um, approach to, to reading is, is really important. And I think to reduce um, reading and language down into its smallest component is completely erroneous. Yes. You know, I, yes. Think, I, think, I think we have to hold on to the, the fact that, um, that language and reading is about um, meaning-making, Yes. And understanding meanings. Yep. Um, and and my, my particular view is that, you know, children are kind of almost natural semioticians. In the, in, in, by that I mean that, that a young child is looking at their environment. There are signs and symbols surrounding them in their environment. And what they're doing is they're trying to make meaning of these signs and symbols. Mm-hmm. They understand that signs and symbols have meaning. Yes. You know, they're not, they are not simply sounds, um, you know, and children will acquire um, their um, letter sound correspondences, their reading of words in all kinds of ways. Um, and to to restrict the the ways in which they do that, I think is, is completely wrong. It, it, for me, it, it's a form of miseducation. Yes, it goes against the, yeah. And as far as I can see, it's 
it's being applied to a particular section of the school population. It isn't applied across the board. Yeah. So what I see happening is that the kids in poorer schools yes. are being taught this method. Um, and, and kids in richer schools get a much richer and broader uh, literacy and language curriculum. You, you know, uh, Paul, you have so well described a phenomenon. I like your metaphor of blinkers, looking mm -hmm. only at phonics and the sledgehammer. That's what I'm taking from this. And mm -hmm. it's been like a, a picture of Christmas uh, yet to come. And it's not a pretty picture. No, it's not. No, no. Again, I say I come from the future yep. and you don't want to go there. Yes. Well, it's a scary future. I want any last words you want to say. Oh, gosh. Um, I think possibly that um, one way in which we um, get through this is by um, liaising across jurisdictions. So the USA, England, United Kingdom more generally, Australia, the Anglophone countries, I think, literacy experts and teachers in, in these respective jurisdictions need really to come together. We need an international forum because what I see happening is that the, the drive um, around synthetic phonics, direct instruction is an international phenomenon. Yes, I think, I think it's coming through various think tanks and it's being, it, it's migrating across these jurisdictions. Well, I think that that we have to do very much the same kind of thing as, as literacy experts and, and teachers. We have to come together and we we need a single international voice, I think, um, to counter uh, these views. However, there is a problem here and, and it's one that we've experienced in, in Australia. And that is that if you simply come out and counter it, then the other side, the, the sinfons as I call them, or the sinfonpreneurs, the people who are peddling their synthetic phonic programs and making money out of them, because uh, that's the other thing. When you when you trace the voices behind synthetic phonics back, you find a money trail. You know there is there is a program that they're yes. promoting. Yeah. Um, so so the the link between direct instruction, synthetic phonics, and money is it's quite a profound one, I think. So I think we have to, although we come together, I think that um, rather than, than um, simply arguing against this particular case, because what they then say is there is a reading war. Um, there isn't necessarily a reading war. They're manufacturing a reading war in order to get publicity right. to be able to prove that particular case. Um, That's why so we I have the International Literacy Educators Coalition. Aha. Uh -huh. No, I didn't know about that. Thank you, Andrew. <laughs> I know uh, where International Literacy Educators Coalition. And we have several people from Australia, New Zealand, a lot of people in Canada, but we are trying to create these international things. All right. Paul, your story was scary, but necessary. Yes, I think it's important that other people know about this. Absolutely. This has been the Reading Instruction Show. I'm your host, Andy Johnson.